I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. <laughs> we reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. This week, The Rag Witch by Garth Nix. Yeah, what a book. <laughs> this book is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Me too. It, it, it's it his first my book, first time right? reading it. Um, no. Oh, okay. I thought I read that. No. It, but it was published in 1990. Um, yep. Yeah. So it was, it was originally published in 1990. Um, he did, I guess, technically, I guess technically this is his first novel. Okay. Yeah. My information was um, semi-correct. Yes. Prior to this, he wrote, um, a series called Very Clever Baby. <laughs> what? That's amazing. Is it about my dog? Described, I wish. Very Described baby. as books for very clever babies aged three to six months. They contain words such as ichthyologist. <laughs> That's such a short age range. Oh my god, one of them is Very Clever Baby's Guide to the Greenhouse Effect. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, but we are not Very Clever Babies, so instead we are going to discuss discuss the rag witch. That's so um, brutal. My mouth is becoming filled with straw and rotten, as is the titular character. Oh jeez, might want to get that checked out. This book was published in 1990 prior to any of the Old Kingdom series. And then it was republished a few times. I think once the Sabriel, once Sabriel got popular, um, it was ultimately published in 1995 by Tor and then 2005 HarperCollins. So there's been a few rounds here. Um, so there's a lot of this the, book out there. It's fascinating to read something that I feel really acts as a precursor to the Old Kingdom series, even though it is a standalone novel. But you can really see where he was working out the ideas that would come to fruition yeah. in the Old Kingdom books. Yeah, I thought a lot about the Old Kingdom alive. Yeah. Especially during the like descriptions of monsters. Ooh. Oh my god! Yeah, as we said during we we've now covered Sabriel twice because <laughs> that's just the kind of people our that podcast. we are. <laughs> <laughs> our hundredth episode special was not too long ago, so if you want to check that out, definitely go listen. Um, and we have an episode on Lyriel as well. And one on Mr. Monday <laughs> from oh. the Keys to the Kingdom series. We're Garth Nix heads over here at Dragon Baby. I forgot Ma- that that Madeline was Garth Nix. Mystified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so as we discussed in our Sabriel Redux, the abhorsening, Garth Nix loves um, a wet monster. Yeah. Um, a bandaged monster. Oozy, like um, an 80s uh, horror monster. <laughs> yeah, lots of goo. Yeah. <laughs> Fluids. Yeah. <and> <laughs> <such>. <laughs> <laughs> These monsters are gross. Orak, no thank you. Orak, <laughs> yikes. Orak really freaked me out and reminded me of a long held kind of nightmare creature. Did it make you think of the Reduds from the Zelda? 
games. Yes. And also from that scary stories to tell in the dark one about like the little vampire mummy creature. Yeah. That crawls out of a yeah. crypt and like goes and like knocks on this girl's window. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like disassociating for a second thinking about it. <laughs> no, I know. We both went very far away for a moment there. But let's get back into the body and mind of the rag witch. Also <laughs> so, horrifying. Also bad. <laughs> um, so first we will disclaimer, we thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So that lies ahead. Let's touch on how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. So this edition that we had when we were young uh, is the HarperCollins edition. Um, It's a newer cover. On our socials, we'll put up a collection of Ragwitch covers because, wow, there's a lot out there. Yeah. Um, At Dragon Babies Podcast on Instagram, at Dragon Babies Pod on Twitter. And a lot of them are very disturbing. This one is less so. Yeah. I don't know. It's not my favorite, to be honest. I'll (laughs) (laughs) Before I even describe it, I hate this book. I don't don't see how anyone could love this cover. I mean, we haven't even described it yet, but it's literally a doll-shaped blob in some water with some hands reaching toward it. And it's very out of focus. It's very modeled. It's yeah. I don't know what it's trying to say to me. Orange, which is like this. This book is very clearly developed to get you to buy it at an airport. Oh yeah, it does have that kind of. It says best-selling author on it. It's blue Mm -hmm. on orange, which they do with a New York Times best-selling author. Yeah, yeah. So double like, like you want to read? You want to read this on an airplane? Um, yeah, the, the, as you point out, the turquoise and the burnt orange are complementary colors. And they do that on a ton of huge budget stuff yep. because it works, because <clears throat> it like grabs your focus. Very striking. And uh, I think that is really a disservice to that to this book because it's really not a... I don't know. I've bought a book from the Hudson News in an airport before, and it was like a detective mystery and the lead was like a sexy lady like it was very what I would expect from that and if I I don't know <laughs> I, I would this cover suggests <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe not maybe not but I digress I digress but the I which it just <laughs> I could sexy see story this about a cool detective <laughs> rag witch oh my gosh but i could see this book sitting next to the sexy detective book at the hudson news and uh, rag witch is an amazing title i do want to say like yeah that piece of the framing and the publication is very strong yeah but this um i think this graphic with like the small hands and then there's like clearly a doll Um, Mm -hmm. And she's only a doll for a very small amount of the book. She spends most of it like in a very large and intimidating frame that's like rotting Mm -hmm. and oozing and, you know, leaking straw. Mm -hmm. And she has shark teeth. What's going on? But also hard to illustrate (laughs) in a compelling way. But hey, I love some of the other covers to be completely (laughs) frank. Like they are so bizarre. 
they look like fever dream 80s horror romps like yeah. they're just wild um yeah i i will say i think one piece of the narrative that i do feel the cover gets across is the feeling of floating in the rag witch's mind okay like, that's fair I, I think that piece of it um rings true to me because then you have like Um, the circle around it which i couldn't i will say compositionally this cover mm -hmm. is very well put together but again Mm -hmm. i think that's more owing to like the marketing Mm -hmm. and like the the amount of money that went into creating this well, it's interesting too because this is, you know, the third publication of the book. Like the the original edition cover which we will put up um is so bonkers. Um Which one's the original one? Is it the one where she it's has on her the Wikipedia? Globe? Yeah, it's on the Wikipedia page. Um, the Ragwitch looks like the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz, but like evil. But e- like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, full on snake nostrils. Yeah. Um, you can see the shark teeth. Yes. And then the witch is holding like this globe with a sad little girl peering out. It's really it. funny. And then Paul is in the foreground being like, oh no, oh, what do I do? Look at his my sister. His stressed out little hands. Yeah, the handwork is really excellent. Um, Yeah, including the Ragwitch's hands. They're wild. Yeah, well, and there's so much description of her three bulbous fingers, and the artist really captured those with tender, loving care. Definitely. So, anyway, let us know your favorite Ragwitch. And there's there's another one where like Paul is like horizontal to the ground but floating above it and he has the needle to his right and the <laughs> ragwitch is like huge like she's massive and she's looming out of the background being like ah showing her teeth Oh my god, I'm looking at that one right now. Well, what is going on with her face? Look, there, there's the head in the background that I guess is supposed to be like her true self or whatever, or maybe Julia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into a plot summary to the best of our ability. Yeah, we. Um, it's been a while. As you all know, it's been a little while since we recorded um and we've read this book over the course of two months (laughs) and if you're looking for more dragon babies content we're on patreon now we're calling it the babe treon patreon.com backslash dragon babies three dollars a month to get an extra episode a month this month's episode is on ronya the robber's daughter the ghibli adaptation that's on amazon so head on over and sign up but first, the Ragvavitch. This book starts with Rag-vitch. a. I know, I can't Redux. stop thinking. <laughs> the Ragvavitch. This book starts off at a breakneck pace as two siblings, Paul and Julia, are at a gross beach. Yes. <laughs> Julia finds a messed up little doll on a midden. A heap of sticks. Anytime you hear the word midden, like something <laughs> you know bad that is, something bad is, is in there or around it. Yeah, like, have you ever, you know, experienced a positive midden? I don't yeah, think so. It's like someone saying barrow down. <laughs> <laughs> 
she touches the doll and she is immediately sucked into it and the doll becomes a big scary rag witch instead of just a little doll and Julia's mind is forced to combine with the rag witches to some extent and the rag witch uses her to take back a physical form Mm -hmm. and continue to carry out some very well laid long term plans that she had in place before she was imprisoned as a doll. Yeah, she has a lot of plans laid that are coming to fruition. As this happens, Julia and the Ragwitch are transported to a different world. We go from somewhere in Australia to a far off kingdom. Paul is watching this, trying to figure out what to do, and he ends up getting transported to the world as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into the specifics along the way, but... He goes to a lot of different locations for a very short amount of time. (laughs) Yeah, he has lots of little quests. He meets a lot of different people. Yeah. He enters into an ocarina of time sort of situation where he has to see the masters of the water, fire, air, and earth. (laughs) And get some sort of token from each of them that's going to help him defeat the Rag Witch somehow. And it also becomes clear to Paul along the way that the Rag Witch is a, the primary antagonist in this world. And a war has almost immediately broken out after her taking on her physical form again. Because her servants, her collection of monsters were essentially just lying in wait for her to return. Um, Like literally just like sitting under the ground or... Yeah, just like in ditches (laughs) hanging out. Um, She has these like undefeatable stone soldiers called the Angerling as well. Um, And they're really like the key (laughs) to subjugating everyone to her oppression. Yeah, they're Um, like unbeatable. It's very much like medieval tech, um, kind of similar to the Old Kingdom series on the Abhorsen side of the wall. Or I'm sorry, not Abhorsen, on the Ancelstier side of the wall. Yeah, the Old Kingdom. And Paul meets the various knights and masters of the beasts and other helpers that are also on the side of good and trying to overcome the Rag Witch and put an end to her rampant destruction. She's just kind of interested in killing everyone. She's pure elemental evil. Yeah, she's she's entropy. Which we learn because as Paul is engaging in his very exterior physical questing and adventuring, going to the bottom of the sea and then going up into the skies and getting (laughs) sneezed on by the master of the air... Julia is trapped inside the Rag Witch and she is doing whatever she can internally to try to defeat her or gain some strength against her. And the Rag Witch sublimates another character, a very powerful witch slash Rowan tree named Lissa, who really unlocks more capabilities for Julia and shows her how to travel into the Rag Witch's memories where they meet her actual self who has been totally subsumed by the evil 
power that she unleashed that then be- took the form of the Rag Witch. And her um, nice, all of her nice parts are just distilled into a, a nice lady who helps a everyone. A nice lady who is asleep in a cold fire <laughs> deep in her memories. And she also meets a, a dead king in there. <laughs> so Who was in love with the... The original rag witch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember her name right now. I'm going to have to Starts figure it with out. An a. That is a main character. Anne Havar. Yeah, I don't. I Guys, don't know. the pronunciations with this one are even worse than usual. I don't know how to say anything. Maybe you're supposed to say them all with an Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so Anne, Anne Havar and Mirren, the king, and Julia and Lissa are inside singing and fighting batty memory bits and trying to weaken the Rat Quitch as Paul is completing his external quests. And it all comes together to a head in one perfect moment where Paul, who has managed to obtain a needle spear that can take the rag witch apart once and for all. At the same time, the internal forces have united to overpower the rag witch's mind for just a moment. And in a beautiful coincidence, Julia, as she takes charge of the consciousness, sees Paul and just rushes to hug him yeah. the rag witch's body. And that leads to the rag witch falling onto the needle spear and being impaled and <laughs> it's destroyed. It's really brutal. Um, the book, as we said, starts in the middle of the action with Julia running toward the doll as Paul is like, don't touch that. Yeah. And it ends in a similarly sudden fashion. Yeah, for um, sure. The Ragwitch is gone and Hivar is dead, but Julia and Paul manage to make it out and get back to their world. The patchwork king, the magic king sends them back there. The patchwork king is just the like... I love the patchwork king. Yeah, he does. I want to put together the most confusing niche cosplay ever, which would be (laughs) me as the patchwork king. And I'm constantly changing age. (laughs) Yeah, the patchwork king does whatever the heck he wants with the plot. He's just kind of like, well, okay, (laughs) you finally got to me. I will fix everything now. (laughs) Yeah, he's a little bit of a deus ex machina, but I do think that the book sets him up appropriately. Oh, for Um, sure. Like Like, he's He has a background and we know that he's out there somewhere. It's not like he just suddenly appears without any warning. No, for sure. And when he sleeps, he looks like a starry dog made out of petrified wood. So that's pretty cool. Um, God, I don't... Animals Just Like Animals in this book is going to be... uh, I I don't even know where to begin, but we're not there yet. Getting ahead of ourselves. Um, But anyway, the book just ends with Julia and Paul being like, okay, let's... uh, Let's walk home. Yep. <laughs> and they decide that they do want to remember their adventures instead of the patchwork king wiping them from their minds, which, yeah, like, th- don't do that. <laughs> Seems like the right call to me as well. I would not want yes. that. Even though there was trauma and bad bits, I think they both grew a lot and succeeded in the process. Yeah, I mean, you already went through it and it was like a whole thing, so it just keeps the growth you got from it, is what I always say. Yeah, that's that's 
what we say in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so old and new impressions. I get to be the one to say I have not read this book. That's my best Madeline impression. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it being around the homestead. Um, But yeah, never picked it up. And I think that makes sense because... The edition we had is the 2005 edition. I was a junior in high school in Mm. 2005, and I was deep in my I'm not reading fantasy anymore, period, because I'm trying to be cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Little did I know that reading fantasy is cool. It just took me a little while to get there. Yeah, definitely. You heard it here first. So uh, I have not read it, but it was a favorite of Madeline's, and I'm curious you probably read this after Sabriel, right? Yeah, I honestly don't remember this book very much, but I know that I read it. So we're a step up from, from usual. Did anything come back to you while you were rereading? I'll force these impressions out of you. I actually think that I read a different book, which is the book... <laughs> How many times can this happen? <laughs> it was a different book. Y'all, y'all, I have to tell you a little behind the scenes glimpse. <laughs> so many times that I'm like, okay, Mads, you pick something that you feel strongly about that you have good memories of. Because <laughs> I feel like I hog all the impressions. And Madeline's like, okay, yes, the rag witch. <laughs> I loved this book. And then it comes time to record and she's like it was a different book (laughs) because it's the book that I found I'm just realizing this in real time because I thought that I had this book and I couldn't find it and I was very confused by that because I thought it was on the bookshelf but I did find this book called Sweet Miss Honeywell's Revenge (laughs) wow okay (laughs) which is about a doll that is like comes to life and is evil. Um, and I is think, it YA? Yes, yeah. Uh, and I think I had it and this book both. And I thought that this one was for adults because of the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you've never read this? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and that book is. Like yeah, we're we're professionals over here at Dragon Babies just accidentally. They like it. Books we've never they read. keep coming back. <laughs> oh boy. Because um, that book well, okay. it happens totally just like in the house with the doll. There's no greater fantasy adventure. Um is but it there is a doll possession of some kind. It yeah, it's just I think it's just a doll that lives in a dollhouse and then it becomes like they find out that it's it's a much more straightforward like horror plot premise. Okay. Um mm-hmm. there isn't a like I said, there's no fantasy aspect really. Um so that makes sense why once I started reading this book, it didn't ring any bells because it was a different book I was <laughs> thinking of, but I did really like okay, well, this book. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on the Ragvivich. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, it reminded me of so many other books that we've done, which which happens when a book is very firmly rooted in like fantasy tropes. 
Mm -hmm. because then you get callbacks from a lot of other books that are also like influenced by these tropes over time um, and like exploring different mythologies uh, like from different uh, cultural backgrounds. It is very like fundamentally appealing in that way. Like the, and we get a really nice combination of like we were saying, someone on their internal quest, meeting new characters and going new brain places, mirrored by someone on their external quest, meeting new characters and going new physical places. In particular, I thought a lot of the stuff about death reminded me of uh, like Gandalf talking to Pippin about Mm -hmm. dying and how like it's, you know, not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like I got those vibes from it for sure so I definitely saw the Tolkienian influences Mm -hmm. Um, it also really reminded me of the Wizard of Oz books yeah yeah I mean the scarecrow is a central (laughs) horror scarecrow is a central character Um, that's not why (laughs) (laughs) no but please expand on that oh no just I think what I meant when I said it's fundamentally so appealing is when you're young and you're reading as an escape to visualize a world in which there is both good and bad around every corner. And if you go to a new mountaintop, suddenly you'll be talking to a wise man who tricks you into planting too many cabbages in return for a piece of information. Mm. Or if you go to a fishing town, you'll end up becoming embroiled in a significant uh, political (laughs) battle. (laughs) But then because it's the festival of the sea day, a little girl who is a water witch Mm. will spell you so that you can breathe and walk underwater safely all the way to your next destination. And then you meet a young man who is obsessed with birds and can talk to them and travels around in a great yellow balloon. Like (laughs) there there's those elements of like very intense and sudden whimsy that are also tempered, but they're also tempered by the horror because it is a horror novel. Yeah. um, Like a young reader's horror novel. Yeah. And it is genuinely, very frightening and disturbing, but in a manageable way. I think I would have been fine reading this when I was younger and I didn't like scary things for the first like 20 years of my life. I love them now, but I used to really, really not be able to handle them. It's interesting that you bring up Wizard of Oz because I think you're right. There's a lot of influence, like the whimsicality, and mm-hmm. the uh, the way it's kind of episodic, but mm-hmm. also like it's all contained under the same story thread. I think that's maybe part of the reason why it feels so deeply fantasy is because it's a bunch of stories like stitched together by the Patchwork yeah. King. <laughs> and it, that gives a really particular vibe because then it's you're just like reading fairy tales, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It and a lot of the different pieces of this narrative could be standalone tales for sure. Like the elementals alone, I did think yeah. it was pretty funny that 
as the book goes on, I felt a little bit like, oh, there's not as much time. Yeah, so no, like, the, the elemental encounters will be faster. Got a little more uh, hairy. Easier. Until literally the last one is like, this is a free gift. You don't have to give me anything. Yeah. <laughs> my, Whereas my favorite... the water elemental tried to kill Paul. Yeah. Yeah. The water elemental was terrifying. But yeah, I did enjoy. But that, that's also about their like temperaments too. Right. And Earth the... is much more patient. It's on a grounded. much longer timeline. It's grounded and it cares about much simpler things. Um, and I did enjoy the visual of them just frantically moving potatoes around as the Gwarulch descend upon them. And the earth is just kind of like, got to to do these potatoes. And Tanbul, who is um, maybe my favorite character in the book, is like, yeah, we got to get the potatoes. Like, why are you even talking about anything else right now? (laughs) Harvest. Do it. As, yeah, as monsters are like rolling down the hill toward them. It's so fascinating seeing a, not a writing exercise because that's reductive and that's making this book out to be much less than what it is because I do think it's a successful story on its own. Mm -hmm. But seeing any of the authors that we cover whose works we've read quite thoroughly, um, seeing their first novel, is always really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you could see and, pieces of their more like established work in it. Mm-hmm. And very clever babies series aside. <laughs> um, this is as Madeline mentioned, <laughs> very his, clever his baby first novel <laughs> learns about climate change. <laughs> Very clever baby, baby meets a rotting zombie. <laughs> that should have been one of them. It's the ragwitch. It's more consistent with uh, his later work. Um, but yeah, so exploring that a little further, definitely the monsters are very fascinating, specifically also reanimating the dead, which yeah. is like Garth Nix's jam. Yeah. <laughs> Not personally, but in his writing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know him, but he doesn't seem like he's up to that. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were saying it wasn't your jam. And then you were like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing that in my spare time. (laughs) It's like, I like reanimating the dead, but it's not like a passion. It's not like a part of who I am. (laughs) It's not on my CV. (laughs) Because the Ragwitch creates something called glazed folk, which is when it's a little confusing. So she kills someone but she basically just like takes their soul out and then puts her will in. It's really, it's really like zombies, I feel like. And the zombie virus is just like her. Yeah. I guess it feels more confusing because I thought initially that they weren't dead. They were just under her control. Um, But it's clear that they are. Because they're rotting. Yeah, because they're, and also once they're like shot or whatever, um, they just kind of, yeah, fall to pieces. They don't like go back to being a regular body. Yeah, it's not curable. I don't know. What'd you say? It's not curable. <laughs> incurable. Yeah. yeah incur- the glaze is incurable. And she also has her like right hand man is this guy called Orok who Smoky is. Guy. 
a figure wrapped in black bandages. And there is something she, messed up under the bandages. There's something bad under the bandages. <laughs> we get hints of that a few times. I don't think we ever actually see what it is. No, we don't. No. She threatens him with yeah. removing the bandages if he fails three times. Which <laughs> I feel like makes it twice. even scary. There's, there's some sort of like eldritch Lovecraftian oh, horror right. underneath to those where it bandages. Would be like threatening to Orak as well because he doesn't want the bandages. Yeah, he doesn't want to be seen and other people don't want to see him. It's just like, oh my God. Yeah, but I think there's some kind of undead thing happening there as well. Oh, for sure. And then I think the exploration of... I think Garth Nix's villains are interesting in that they usually aren't, like, super personal gain-oriented. It's more of, like, they crave complete destruction of all mankind and like a total upside down of like the dead rule the living world um and that's interesting (laughs) yeah which that also like feels kind of tolkienian to me Mm -hmm. um which i feel like i need a disclaimer and there there is i mean i should say like there is that lust for power underneath Mm -hmm. that for sure when i what i was gonna say is when i say tolkienian i mean like he a lot of what he did was collecting a lot of really old um like pagan and uh, um culturally just viking like all kinds of different long long held story traditions in human history that he kind of like codified in a way in lord of the rings so i feel like that's important to say that like tolkien didn't just come up with all of this like it's it's in humans like storytelling DNA to like have these yes. these stories and these like traditions. Yes, he really just popularized that type of fantasy and fantasy as a whole and made it more of like a mainstream art form. Oh, the the really intense stakes like the good and evil um which I f- I feel like is very human because uh like humans are kind of obsessed with good and evil. Um, Mm -hmm. in calling one or the other. uh, And, like, truly the evil is the fight against entropy, Mm -hmm. I feel like. But there's a way to, like, accept it and overcome it. Um, But I feel like it's kind of a distillation of that into the bad guy of just this, like, overwhelming force of death. (laughs) Death and ruin. Like, it will undo everything that you've created. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so check that out if i mean check out the rack the rack witch if you're yeah. interested in that. you really want to it's i don't know i love that kind of like staring into the void stuff so no for sure i one of my favorite moments in the book is when julia is talking to the other you know her like brain team that's brain trapped team. in the rag witch um like soul team or whatever i don't know soul team <laughs> Because they're very preoccupied with how do we actually make it so that we can really die and not just be absorbed into the rag witch's evil essence for all eternity because that's not great. They want to release themselves back into, like, you know, the ether. The flow of energy and life. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to remaining in this, like, very stagnant place. And uh, 
Julia is, you know, kind of overwhelmed and is like, well, because Lissa says to her, like, now if we die, you know, we're going to take that journey together. Like the four of us are doing this together. You're you're not alone with the Ragwitch. And Julia is kind of confused and says, but you know, if we die, won't we go to heaven? And Lissa's like, uh, <laughs> No one really knows. Yeah. Maybe. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, And I really always appreciate that approach and mindset to some kind of existence or life after death. Um, it, it, It feels like the most peaceful way that you can kind of, you know, surrender yourself to whatever, whatever forces are at work in our yeah, bodies and our universe. Um, and whenever there's that kind of sophisticated concept in a, a YA or sometimes this book almost skews middle grade to me. Um, yeah. it's, it's a younger reading audience than the Old Kingdom series. Oh, definitely. yeah, for sure. But yeah, whenever I encounter that in a work for younger readers, I am a grateful and appreciative. And we, if you want to hear us talk more about um, life after death and whatnot, you should listen to our episode on the Graveyard, the graveyard book. Graveyard book, yeah. Um, With a guest appearance a, from Justice. Yes, our... Friend of the pod. Our, uh, I don't even know what to call her. Our dear, dear special friend, Justice. Friend of the pod. Yeah, so I really liked that too. I think that the maintaining your own mind when you're being threatened by a more powerful seductive force that wants to consume you theme is um is well done and it's so hard to do that kind of writing where someone is like in someone's brain and I mean see all of Madeline Langle's work for in my opinion probably the best version of it that's ever been done yeah um but this was great too and because I grew up on a steady diet of the Murray books by Madeline Langle I am like very watchful for this type of writing because it's so intangible um and yet you really need to come up with clear ways to describe what's going on as like pieces of Julia's personality and self are being taken away from her and sort of disintegrating into the Ragfovich. Yeah. Um, and I was able to follow that well. And I thought that Garth Nix was really successful with that. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not just like a Harry Potter movie and you just show the Dementor just be like, like sucking your soul out through your mouth. Like, like the it, point of light is traveling from one wand to the other and now it's going back the other way. Yeah, no, it goes a little deeper than that in terms I of know, like, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. Oh no, I, I was just saying in Garth Nix's oh, and, books, yeah, it goes and a little I, deeper than that. I do like, we're never going to cover them. Just I'll say it again right now, but I do, you know, love the Harry Potter books for what they are. We all just need to reckon with the hate <laughs> that um, yeah. was poured into them by their by their author. Um, Always remember that Lovecraft was a racist. He was a xenophobe. He was an anti-Semite. <laughs> he was a pretty bad person when it came to that stuff. Um, L. Frank Baum as well, which is why we have not covered 
Wizard of Oz books, Roald Dahl, <laughs> so many problematic faves. Um, and it's so if you're, it's my belief that if you're going to continue to engage with the work, which I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with, because like in kind of a like death of the author way, once you create something yeah. and it exists, then other people start to have a relationship with it that has like very little to do with you ultimately. And can attribute meaning to it that's completely different mm-hmm. from what you intended. Based on their own and life experience. the case experience. of the Harry Potter books is largely like much more positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's much more of a message of like inclusiveness and belonging. But thankfully, Garth Nix is, as we, as we know, um, raising of the dead aside, a good person. <laughs> Honestly, at least he's being bigot. true to himself. <laughs> I wish that we uh, had like Joe Rogan numbers so that there'd be like a TMZ piece that's like podcast says beloved YA fantasy author is a necromancer. He's <laughs> engaged in necromancy. <laughs> oh so my if God. any of you want to start spreading that that's why we it. need big numbers <laughs> so we can start that is the only reason I hope for success <laughs> I think he would find that funny me too honestly yeah okay what else <laughs> You can tell that I only had three hours of sleep last night. And then um, I had a two and a half day migraine. <laughs> it's okay. I we feel a lot are better today. at our best. There is a lack of characterization in this book that I think happens for a few reasons. One, um, Julia is inside the Ragvavitch and it's hard to get to know her very well when she's constantly, you know, pushing back. But Paul, we get a little more insight into you, but it's more like his general timidity, um, like fear of talking to girls um, and then concerns that he won't be brave enough. Um, so a bit more general, but I did, I was just kind of struck in the moment where, you know, they're talking about, or the, their narration is saying all the things that made Julia, Julia, like her likes and dislikes, personality, quirks, traits, everything like we're being absorbed. And I was like, what are those? I yeah, no, it's I true. don't actually know. <laughs> I guess for some reason that didn't really feel important to me. Like I didn't really care about that. Well, I think it's because this is an action book. Like it's an action horror book. Yeah. Um, it's more and, about the story than the, like the characters yeah. have their parts to play in the story, but it's, it's all about the plot rather than like, yeah, they're really more in service of the story rather than the other way around. Um, but there's just so much that has to get done. <laughs> um, and it all does seem to happen pretty quickly as well. Um, we mostly get an idea of the passing of time when Paul has like been unconscious <laughs> for yeah. a while. Yeah, he gets he gets knocked out. Some like, it's this been three days, <laughs> which is something that I I don't know if I've said this, but I did that a lot in the like crappy. I don't know what you'd call it. It was written by a 13-year-old. 
<laughs> um, or younger fantasy is I would just knock the character out when I needed to get them from place to place so that I didn't it's have to really useful. figure out how to get them from place to place. You would be, I'm not referring to this book, but cause it doesn't over rely on that. Um, it's more just like Paul is a child who's engaging in warfare. <laughs> like he's yeah, going to suffer yeah. some head wounds. He gets bopped um, on the head a lot. He does. And he gets really cool little like scarification flame tattoos yeah, also. Yeah, his tattoos sound pretty sick for He's, he's going to be kind of a badass child. back in school. Yeah, right. He's going to come back with tattoos. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that about this book, but you'd be, you'd be surprised how many authors in adult novels use the knocking a character out method and whatever i get it we're all i just read one of those i'm not gonna name it it won't be mean (laughs) let's talk about animals Animals. just like animals in this book so many animals we got to start with quiggin (laughs) is that how you say his name do you think that's how i said it in my head i couldn't find an audiobook of this no, there isn't one. Quiggin is a young apprentice of the beasts, and every castle has its own role that someone must be appointed to, the master of the beasts, and they communicate with all of the friendly animals in their region and, you know, keep things organized and get messages. And it's like a cool animal-to-human pipeline, and the animals aren't being... Um, like subjected to servitude by the humans or like forced to do things. It's more of a cooperation because this yeah, it's is interesting. It's a peaceful world. That's another, um, a peaceful society. Like they don't war. At one point Paul says to a knight, you've never fought another person before. And he's like horrified. And it's like, no, we just have to keep like the evil spirits down. <laughs> keep the evil spirits down. <laughs> of course. Hey, don't we all? So that was also cool. And I always like a fantasy society in which war is not a natural occurrence. Um, So Quiggin is learning to talk to all the creatures of this world. And sometimes he's better at it than others. And he's really given over to his craft. (laughs) Like he gets very distracted wanting to like check on a lizard that he thought he saw or like try to figure out how to squawk at some eagles. I honestly, I I truly understand this just from a standpoint of like anytime I see an animal, even if it's a freaking squirrel, I'm always tempted to just be like, what's up, buddy? Like, hey, oh, yeah. what do you, what's on the squirrel brain today? And I do it with crows, like always. I can't help myself but say hello to the crows. There's nothing better than getting in a nice hello with your neighborhood creatures. I Is there... Is there anything more wonderful than being on a walk and a cat just runs up to you to say hello? I in my stuff. in my neighborhood in Seattle, there's an amazing cat named Paolo who Paolo. I got to see when we were home over Christmas. Actually, oh. um, I was crossing the street and he sprinted up to me and he was so excited to see me. I hadn't seen him in six months. That's amazing. And here in Danville, there's a cat that hangs out by the river on a little bench, um, and that cat <laughs> has begun to greet me when I pass by on my. Sad little walks. Um, 
and it's there's just no greater joy. Yeah. 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 And um, I spent so a lot I'd of... So I'd love to be a master of the beast. Yeah. I feel like I'm already trying to be one. Um, like when we were in Mexico, I spent so much time just looking at birds and looking at iguanas and trying to find the crocodiles, which I did not see. But there were signs saying, beware of crocodiles everywhere. I didn't get to see any of the crocodiles. <laughs> I didn't go in the ocean, though, because the crocodiles do get in the ocean, apparently, which is... Um, I don't know. They're I wouldn't go alligators, on, no, not crocodiles, crocodiles, right? They, they have, have crocodiles. crocodiles. They in have Mexico? alligators too, but they they have crocodiles. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's wild. That's wild. Like yeah. we we were um, in like a small marina and like walked out on one of the dock because there was no fence or anything. We figured it was fine. And we walked back in, and one of the guys that worked there came up to us and was like, "Don't do that after dark." Because the crocodile comes and he hunts here at night because fish get stuck in like the little marina here and he likes to jump up onto the the dock here to just like hang out. Wow. And I looked for that crocodile all night. I didn't see him. (laughs) Yeah, I just looked it up. It is a species specific to the Atlantic regions of Mexico, Belize, and Guatemala. It's called Moralitz Crocodile also known as the Mexican crocodile or Belize crocodile. Cool. Puerto Vallarta is really cool. It's kind of tropical in some ways. The top result for the query crocodiles Mexico is a crocodile just attacked tourists in Mexico again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it happens all the time apparently because like... You know, they're big, scary lizards. And like, if humans don't pay attention, um, like everyone was telling a story about how a couple of months earlier, a couple drunk guys went swimming at night and they all got yeeted by a crocodile. Are they native species or have they? I don't know. I didn't get to see any, so I couldn't ask. Okay, very interesting. Thank you for t- telling me. Thanks for teaching me that. <laughs> I'm going to, as Tracy Jr. would say. <laughs> we saw we saw uh, magnificent frigate birds, great pelicans. Uh, we saw a wimbrel on the beach. Um, mm. Lots of turkey vultures, tons of them, um, and swifts. And then there's this bird called the flycatcher, but it's this really beautiful bright yellow. Um, white egrets. Uh, and green herons. Hmm. That's a great bird list. And I saw some little tiny lizards that Nick said were geckos, and then I saw lots of big iguanas, which I got really excited about. They were yeah, everywhere. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah. I, I, being, having like grown up in the Midwest and then moved to the Pacific Northwest, being anywhere where lizards are a thing is very exciting. Yeah. It feels very magical to I me. I love a lizard. Yeah, I, I get so excited about the lizards, and people around me are just like, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> they <laughs> hang out by the pool every day, all day. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Animals um, in this book. Animals in Madeline's Book of Life. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so Quiggin has a hare who is his like right-hand lady named Liesel, and she's always, you know, looking for clues and scouting out and then like running away and getting in trouble and like being scared. Um, she's very cute. And then, I mean, there's just so many different creatures. Like everyone's hanging out, having a great time and talking to Quiggin. And I want that job. Yeah. I don't... And there's lots of dogs around too. 
there's really cute dogs at one point during a battle. Paul is freaked out because he feels something wet on his ankle. And he's like, oh, it's a dog licking me. It's just a dog <laughs> licking me. Like, where did that dog come from? Just a friendly dog. I hope the dog is There are is five okay. dogs that are named after the numbers one through five in like the old tongue or yep. whatever. And I was like, yeah, elegant solution when you like have a, a lot of pets and you don't feel like figuring it out. At a... Um, like an animal rescue where they just start naming mm-hmm. the cats after toothpaste. Yeah. Our brother Patrick worked at an animal rescue where there was a cat named Aquafresh <laughs> that we were all obsessed with. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I guess I don't really have it. I felt like there was so much to say for animals, just like animals in this book, but it's really just like a glut. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool that the animals and the people are working together harmoniously. Like I said, like I really like that depiction um, and I hope not too many of them got killed by, I guess during animals, just like animals in this book, we should talk about the meepers, yeah, um, the, like, evil which are creatures. another one of the rag, witches minions, more like mythological like, creatures than animals. I would say all of her yeah, stuff is. Yeah. They're like bird things. They're really gross. They have hooded eyes and really long bodies and they attack from the skies. Bad, bad stuff. They're like <sighs> horror worms. Yeah, the contrast of the ragwitch looking around, you know, with joy and cackling at all of her disgusting, vile beasts around her while Julia looks out from her eyes and is like, no, like, oh, God, <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Very like Saruman and Grima standing For on sure. the balcony. Yeah. yeah. Pretend food. Do they eat much in this book? There's some. I, I kept like track. a little bit? Okay. I kept track. So most of the food is travel food. Yeah. And Julia doesn't have to eat. Um, because she's a mind creature. <laughs> she's trapped in a brain. Mm. Um, but we do get... So initially, Paul is just eating blackberries when he's just... I forgot about this part because it feels so like disjointed from the rest of the book because it's before he's like all linked up and traveling around with an expanding band of friends. But when he's just like lost in the woods, in the Ornwares woods, oh. is that what his name is? And he encounters a forest spirit who is very scary and yeah. very cool. Um, you know, like an antler man. Green man type. Yes. And there he's just eating blackberries and feeling very tired of them. He also, there's also a great line where he's thinking about how like, this is like he's in one of the movies, but then, uh, then he gets trapped in a hole. (laughs) He's thinking (laughs) in the film, the bad guys ended up in the hole, (laughs) but then in the movies, heroes didn't go running around weird forests in shorts, sneakers, and dirty white t-shirts. They also didn't worry about things like food and drink. Paul thought acutely aware of his dry and crackling lips and the dull rumbling complaint of his stomach. And as we've mentioned before, we always worry about our characters having you know some kind of bathroom i worry about them not having chapstick or moisturizer (laughs) your skin gets so dry out there in the woods in the and he's very hungry yeah in the like worst case scenario survival handbook or whatever that little yellow paper bag Mm -hmm. um the one about being trapped in the desert i always remember it said you're supposed to rub the grease from around your nose like, you know, the top of your right. nose, the sides of your nose, and then rub that on your lips. Use your face oil and mm-hmm. redistribute it yeah. wisely. Yeah, and uh, I've often thought of that. 
I don't and know. I've never been Mad- trapped in the desert. <laughs> well, Madeline and Justice got me into the History Channel series alone recently, <laughs> and I watched in horror as a man spread musk ox brain across oh, his face. face as if it were lotion. Yep. Yeah, he was super excited about it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, um, so other gross food. Uh, <laughs> Quiggin feeds Paul a combination of fish oil, molasses, and herbs while he's passed out for three days mm. and against his will. Well, Paul just didn't know that he was being fed that, and he is pretty disturbed once he finds out. Fish oil is disgusting. I used to take it in a pill as a supplement, and even then you can like taste it because it's like in your, that your stomach is digesting it. So I cannot imagine just... Just slurping it down. (laughs) Stop (laughs) it. Horrible noise. Sorry. (laughs) We are very excited for, um, we're going to do some pretend food episodes where we try some pretend foods to the best of our ability um, this summer once I'm home for our Babe Treon. But I don't, I don't think we'll do fish oil with molasses and herbs. Maybe not. (laughs) Nope, just butter pie. (laughs) Then when they get to the fishing village, it's the festival of the sea. And they have uh, trays and trays of food ranging from fish to lobster with all kinds of shellfish and edible seaweed in between. Um, And there's also a funny like overactive lobster who is being held by like a very stern soldier and that's how he's characterized where it's like the lobster was moving around a lot anybody else probably would have let go but he just held on (laughs) (laughs) forgot about that lobster (laughs) yeah very wizard of oz and hiver and julia and lissa and marin (laughs) i think that's his name <laughs> have a little memory picnic. It's very cute. Um, yeah, okay. Anheuser that's says, the best food, I feel like. Yeah. And if I says, I remember a little Sandy Cove, the bright sun shining, and a wicker basket with a broken catch, all full of pies and cakes, and lemon sherbet in a crystal bottle stoppered with a silver cork. So then they have a nice little picnic, and they rest a bit, which is very nice because Julia's entire time in the Ragvivich is just constant suffering and pain and trauma. So I'm glad Um, she gets to do a little bit of self-care. I know, I know. And the characters in this book are really good at carving out like a moment for quiet calm yeah. whenever they can yeah and um, i like that as a, a way lot. to sustain themselves because and you going. have to do self-care all the time and how could i not mention the bacon and cabbage that is tan bull's entire diet <laughs> <laughs> and every time paul ends up back at his place he's like there it is the smell of bacon and cabbage i know right where i'm at <laughs> And at one point, he, Quiggin, and Tanbull silently eat three plates each of bacon and cabbage so because they're just be so spent. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and Tanbull also has Paul help him plant his cabbages and then later harvest his potatoes. So there is some good, um, good vegetables in yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final food I want to mention is a tea that Paul has with the Patchwork King. Oh, Hope you yeah. like marmalade, said the Patchwork King. I can't stand jam. 
I like marmalade, said Paul, and then, fearing to lie, he added, but I think I like jam better. The Patrick King nodded and went to get the kettle. When Paul looked at the table again, there was a tin of strawberry jam next to the marmalade, a tin of his favorite brand of strawberry jam. Another reason that I want to be the Patchwork King. You can just make favorite jams appear. Come and on. I love that Paul knows enough to be like, I shouldn't lie to this yeah. being. <laughs> He's going to know. Yeah. This force of like kind of chaotic, goofy energy. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, like that's not bad pretend food and bacon and cabbage. I do like as you know, when, when you think about the question, like if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's not bad in terms of nutrients. No, it's really um, not. Cabbage is so good for you. And bacon has the it, salt and the protein, but you need more carb. Um, doesn't cabbage have carb in it? Not much. Okay, so you need bread. Yeah, and they do eat it with bread. There you um, go. <laughs> at one point. Curious yeah, what it's, ails it's only 1.3 grams of carb, which is less than 1% of daily value. Okay, so, so yeah, Not bread. enough. <laughs> bread, bacon, cabbage. Yeah, if that counts as one food. <laughs> I can eat that. I again, sorry to mention alone again, but I'm thinking about nutritional content of like single foods a lot because the contestants starve, even though they have plenty of, you know, say rabbit meat, but it's because there's not enough rabbit starvation. Yeah. I think about that a lot now too. Yep. So we'll leave you, (laughs) we'll leave the pretend food segment on the phrase rabbit starvation. (laughs) Shall we pick our badass ladies and rate them on our badass lady meter? My badass lady is the rag witch. (laughs) I mean, it's your prerogative. And I rate her one million rotting bodies. (laughs) No, that's not my real one. Sorry, you go ahead. Um, I was going to give it to Liesl. Oh, I love Liesl. To the to the soft little rabbit because I want to hug a soft little rabbit. And I guess that's... No, that's not the whole reason. Liesl just, like, does so She's much. She's really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't get much acclaim at all, I feel, because no, she's a rabbit. No, Quiggin's always saying that she's, like, misbehaving. Yeah, yeah. So... And that she's bad. <laughs> but she's a good rabbit. I give Liesl a promotion that brings her to the same rank as Quiggin so that they are <laughs> equals and that it's like he can't just, you know, minimize her. I agree. Great rating. Um, I'm my baddest lady is Tan Bull. I love him. I want to live in his weird um like boat house. Yeah. It's like it's like a ship that's in the mountains. He's always gardening. He has unknown wisdom. He's, he does <laughs> um, seem like he's really got it figured out. I love the concept of rice marn, the like mountain wise folk land. Yeah. Um, 
where there's like maybe, and they may all just be one person maybe as well. Um, but like manifesting in different ways, according to what other people say about when they've visited. Um, and that's very Tan cool. Bull, Tan Bull sets Paul off on like an actual path too. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's the one who helps him understand that he needs to get something from all the elemental powers. Gives and, him a little more direction. And I like that Tan Bull is a practical guy. And he's like, we need to harvest potatoes right now. Then we'll deal with the impending doom. And when he kept saying, you need to harvest potatoes, I was like, which elemental is left? It's the earth spirit. So I think digging around (laughs) for potatoes is going to yield something promising here. So he had a plan all along. He did. My rating for Tan Bull is some better tea for him to drink um, because his tea sounds nasty. Oh, I think yeah. it's made from cabbage. Yeah, <laughs> cabbage tea does not sound good. And it sounds like and it would one taste point, bad. Yes. And at one point when the Patchwork King gives Paul some uh, very nice tea, in fact, the tea that his mother drinks, Paul at first is like bewildered by the taste of the tea. And then he's like, oh, it's just not Tan Bull's tea. It's not <laughs> I've become so accustomed cabbage tea. So I will, oh, maybe some nice, some nice oolong. Um, maybe uh, like a good spearmint. I love a spearmint tea, more complex than peppermint. And like one of those cool little clay pots, like mom has some of them. Yes, and a lovely little pitcher, a little teapot, and like just some time in between cabbage and potato plans to kick back and relax. <laughs> some R&R. So I think that brings us to the end of our episode on the rag witch. The rag witch. May you all go forth and avoid possession by a doll. If you see a midden, just don't. Don't approach. Stay away. Do not approach. Don't do anything. Don't talk to any animals hanging out there. Nope. Don't eat anything. Um, I mean, just just turn back around and continue your merry way along the beach. Don't think about it. Now I'm scared that I'll, I don't know, I'll turn a corner and come upon a midden. A midden in (laughs) front of me. No. I'll be pulled inexorably toward it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, this was kind of a goof around episode, but we have all kinds of episodes, serious ones too. Yeah. So we hope you'll be back for the next. This episode was a listener request slash a Madeline request. Um, <laughs> for a book that she'd never read. <laughs> oh, Madeline. <laughs> Um, from Rachel. Thank you so much, Rachel, for requesting this book. We had a great time. Yeah. I'm glad I've read it now. Okay. And our next episode is also going to be a listener request. It's from listener Dury, and it is Magic's Pawn by Mercedes Lackey. I'm excited to cover another Mercedes Lackey book because... Um, the podcast is what introduced us to her. Um, we really hadn't read her stuff before. So check back for that soon enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, or you can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. 
And you can also check out my Instagram, Pig and Doodles, P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S, art stuff, pictures of my dog, Pig. Get into it. All you could need. And on our Instagram, I'm confronting a long-held fear of creating reels. So you'll want to follow us because... (laughs) I think we'll make a real ranking the different Ragwitch covers. Um, you're oh, gonna, cool. you're gonna want to see that. You're gonna want to see that. I made a TikTok too, which I'll start posting content. You on, did but not yet. So, okay. Well, maybe Madeline will make our Dragon Babies TikTok as well. Oh goodness! Then we can share the reels to it. The reels engagement. Reels. Oh God. <laughs> okay. I'm Grace and I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>